Hi, my name is Victoria Zarenka, and this is the first episode of season two of Think About It. Today's guest is a longtime Sports Illustrated staff member and Tennis Channel broadcaster. He covers important news in various sports, from tennis to the NBA. He is a renowned author and sports journalist, John Bertheim. John, thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, good to be with you in a, uh, in a new format. I'm eager to see where you take this. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to, to have this conversation. I think that the lines um, are a bit blurry for journalists to like, how, how much can I ask? And for the, for the athletes, like, how much do I want to share? How, I think my, my fear was always like, how fair would the journalist be to try to actually tell my story? Because it does happen where, you know, you kind of open up and people spin what you what you were trying to say and it goes into kind of a negative space where next time you are feel feel more guarded and it was i think later on uh, in my career where i started to understand the dynamic better of journalism and the importance of it and i think that really helped me to kind of navigate later on with my relationship with media so for me, it's just my observation, especially with the younger players, so much is about texting, so much is about virtual. There is harder to have an open conversations. You don't really see a live conversation. Do you, do you, do you feel that, that way sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing, and again, like it's, it's fine. I mean, those, these are the rules of the road. It is so case by case, right? So there's some athletes where they want the world to know who they are and they're maybe even feeling, and I don't know, I'm curious if you felt this, there are commercial pressures to be more than, than forehands or backhands and you're your own brand and you have a story to tell. And I mean, you know, you, you pick, just pick, pick players at random, right? So, so Maria Sharapova was born in Russia and came to the United States and her father worked at Boletari's. There's a whole backstory that's part of her marketing. Um, and you know, that, that has nothing to do with forehands and backhands. Um, and you're right. Social media only sort of adds an element where you can learn about athletes and you see pictures of, of you know, you're, you know, you see pictures of them with, with their children and you see their, their likes and their dislikes and where they are and they're on a beach and they're, you know, Ash, Ash Barty within minutes of I mean, we'll timestamp this, but, uh, you know, Ash Barty's engaged. We learned about that on social media. Again, I, I think what it, there, there's never going to be a bright line, right? I mean, there's never going to be a, you know, that's this is too personal. Um, th this is something you you've never asked. This is something you ought to ask. There are some players who are offended. Honestly, are you asking me this? Yeah, is a serious question or is a joke? I think I think the athlete probably should respect the fact that. Um, it's it, this, this line's always moving and that the person that just was in the interview room was going on and on about their, their sister's crazy dinner or the new outfit they're wearing for the first time. But the media also needs to sort of take this case by case into account and realize that the question that worked for Nick Kyrgios is completely inappropriate for didn't you want to just pick a name, you know, for, for you. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I mean, I think, and I think it's also, a, it's, it's very hard from an athlete perspective to sort of get to know the media, 
but I think it's important for the media to realize that these are these are people and they're different ages. They come from different cultures. There are different points in their career. They have different commercial pressures and that what's an acceptable topic for player X might not work for player Y. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really interesting point. I never thought about how you guys approach that. If somebody's, as you said, like doesn't want to talk about tennis and wants to talk about everything else. And um, I was personally like facing this <laughs> when I was every time I would go to Belarus and and everybody was interested on how much money I was making. You know, that was like almost every time they asked me this question. And I said, like, why do you, why is everything you ask me is how much money am I making? Like, it's not I don't want to I don't want to talk about it. So they don't really they didn't didn't take it in consideration, maybe that much. But it, it triggered like the point, like, why is that thing? So I never thought, like, oh, maybe there's other athletes that want to talk about it, even though I may not think that it's possible. But I think that's that's actually a really interesting point. Your latest book that you wrote is a glory days and the summer of 1984 and the 90 days then changed the sport. It's out now and it looks at like a time period um, in sports that looks really, really different than it is today. Most of it was relied on print and now, you know, athletes are accessible 24, 24 hours a day, really to through phones through internet through their friends friends you know like it's not just even only direct so do you think if social media um was around would have impact this big sports like it did in 1984 oh man i mean to me like social media is the biggest change since i've been you know for the 20 years I've been doing this. I mean, 1984, as I see, it was really sort of this critical point where this was the summer that Michael Jordan got drafted. And he said, you know what? I'm more than just a basketball player. I want to be my own brand. I want my own kind of shoe. And that was that was crazy at the time. You, you Nike or Adidas gives you a pair of shoes. They pay you a couple bucks. And that's, that's your endorsement deal. Mm-hmm. Um, 1984 was when you had this cable TV network, ESPN, that broadcast sports 24 seven. And like you say, um, athletes became that sort of started us on this road to athletes becoming a lot more accessible. You know, 1984 was Martina at Wimbledon when she said, yes, I'm here with my new girlfriend. And if you don't like it, you know, you. Um, So I mean, it really dovetails with what we're talking about, where this idea of the athlete is more than just a performer. The athlete is public figure, sometimes to great benefit. You know, Michael Jordan made more money from Nike than he made playing for the Chicago Bulls when he started his career. Um, mm-hmm. But also sort of this encroachment where, you know, I mean, and, and I think, you know, social media is really tricky because in some ways I think it makes the athlete's life easier, right? Ash Barty puts out that tweet. She's engaged, congrats, and she doesn't have to answer questions about it. She's controlling the message. She mm-hmm. can put the photo she chooses and reveal as much information as she wants. Um, and no one needs to ask her much more about it because it's all right there. The flip side, as you say, I mean, I don't, I don't envy being a young athlete with social media at all. And we all, you know, we, we all, we all have a little movie studio we keep in our pocket and we can all frame it the way we want. And like, like you say, you go out to 
eat and somebody wants a picture and someone else tweets, hey, you know, Vika is sitting at the table next to me. I didn't know she likes Chinese food. And I, I, you know, it's sort of a shield or a sword. And we, we could devote a whole episode to the peril and the benefits of social media. But I, I think it definitely sort of changes. It, you know, it, it also really changes um, sort of what, what the media feels they know about athletes, right? They know what your kids look like. Um, you know, they, they know what your home looks like. And it, I think to me, that really sort of changes the whole dynamic as well. I feel like with the news, uh, with sports, with everything, it's a lot about who is going to say it first. You know, like I'm the first one. Hey, like, like a tick. And then we're like, it's almost fact checking after. Uh, and again, I don't want to generalize, obviously, and say, okay, everybody does it. But it, it does happen quite often. And um, in your world and your approach, how, how do you, first of all, what do you think about it if it's, if it's true? And second is, what is your personal approach to it? Oh, man. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, it used to be you sort of wanted to be first because that's what, you know, that's, that's what the editors wanted or that's what your bosses wanted. Now I think it's just about the, the dopamine rush of, uh, of social media, right? So if you knew that, again, we'll, we'll use our example. If Ash Barty was getting, uh, Ash Barty was getting engaged and you were the first person to have it out there and you got all the retweets, it wouldn't make you any more money. It, it may not even, your bosses may not even notice, but you'd, you'd get that little chemical rush of, uh, of, of the retweets. Um, you know, I mean, I think the you know, social media has done such strange things to journalism, and in some ways, it's been great. I mean, if the whole idea is to inform and, and spread information and sort of uh, amp up the metabolism, it's it's great, right? I mean, so, something happens and you do a little thumb typing, and there, it's out there for the rest of the world to see. That's come at the expense of accuracy sometimes, um, but it also, I, to me, it's kind of also come at the expense of dignity. And there's sometimes where you see people on, on Twitter, especially, which is kind of where the media hangs out. And you're sort of like, what do you do it? Like, why would you do that? I mean, me personally, I'm, you know, I'm sort of very lucky to be at a point in my career where, um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how many followers I have or how many retweets you get. Um, but I also realize if I were 25 years old and, just starting my career and I wanted to make a name for myself, it's very easy to see how this would be seductive. Obviously you're doing so many things uh, now with, you know, with the, with the sports illustrated, with the 60 minutes, with the on tennis channel, like you are very in high demand. So, and you are still are very active on, on Twitter. You, you, you put the news out there, you put, you know, comments out there. Uh, how that's been still quite a big part, I would say, of, of, of your of your day. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just the nature. Like, like tennis, I think lends itself to social media and it's global. I mean, to me, sometimes you see people, oh, I don't, you know, it's I don't, I don't, uh, I don't even know what Twitter is, and you sort of say, well, I I get it, right? But if your job is to have connections and spread information and learn things and inform people and even have opinions. 
to me, it's a little like saying, I, I don't really, I like adjectives and nouns, but I don't like verbs. I mean, I think it's very hard to be a journalist and sort of thumb your nose at social media. Um, it's, it's here, it's part of the drill. To, to me, it's just, I really try to be careful. And, you know, you, you use it as a tool. I, I do a lot of retweets, but also, you know, if, if someone's, it's, imagine like, uh, imagine in, in tennis, right? If you could hit a forehand and, and best case scenario, it lands in the middle of the court. And worst case scenario, it hit, hits an official and you're defaulted from the match you probably wouldn't hit that shot. And to me, like social media, the risk reward is really skewed. If, if I send out a tweet and it gets a thousand retweets, I don't, I don't make an extra dime. It doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't help me, you know, with that 60 minutes, it doesn't help me. And if I write something sloppy or erroneous or offensive, or it, it could cost you your job. The margin of error is so small because now more than ever you can offend anybody and everybody um you cannot say so so many things and it's ever changing so you said it maybe like two years ago and now it's changed but one of the questions i think that that happens a lot and for me to also I, i would love to understand and if you think there is a different um, expectation between how men and how women um, are presenting themselves, you know, in the in the press, I think you know tennis. We are very very lucky in tennis that we are um, one of the pioneers of equality, and we I feel like we are pushing that that boundary every time more and more we've done like a conference for uh, how women are perceived in sports in media and et cetera. And one of the statistics was that about 95%, 94 or 94%, I think was male coverage in sports. And then 6% of women coverage in global sports. I'm not talking just tennis. And that was, that was pretty shocking. And they gave us, you know, kind of statistics and more of like the words that are used with men and women. And this question is not about like, you know, men versus women. It's just to like kind of understand, is it going in a direction of more equality? Are we pushing those boundaries? Because that's, that's what I want a little bit of my legacy when I, when I stopped playing is that I was the player who continued that huge fight behind, you know, the original nine behind the Billie Jean King. That's what I want to be remembered for. And I just wanted to get a little bit your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think first for tennis, like tennis is in a great place. Other sports aren't like that necessarily, but I do think there's been, a lot of progress. And I think that you used to, there used to be this vicious cycle, right? Where people, we see also Sports Illustrated, people say, why don't you cover the WNBA more? And the response would be, well, no, nobody cares. The ratings are low and the readership is bad and it doesn't have any buzz. And you say, well, yeah, it's not going to have much buzz if you keep burying it and not putting it on your air. So it's sort of in this vicious cycle. And I think, I think we've gotten out of that in a lot of ways. Sort of the, the trend lines are very much going in the right direction. And whether it's like, the WNBA ratings 
or just the fact that casually, like, you know, you and I, we, we know who Simone Biles is and Megan Rapino. I mean, I think the, the core of female athletes is growing. And I think tennis is really at the forefront of that. You, you talk about sort of growing from Billie Jean and, you know, I mean, we all, we all love and admire and adore Billie Jean and the stories she tells about passing out brochures to say, come see me play tomorrow and traveling to the events in station wagons. And we've come, come an awful long way. And I think, I think that's one thing tennis a should be really proud of, but also should probably sell a little bit harder. I definitely feel that it's, it is shifting. I do still feel like it's uh, there's a lot of work to be done and you know, by having those this type of conversations, um, I think I think it's 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 very important. And 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 in sports in general, I think you have to always um, try to move a little bit further, a little bit further. I, I'm very very aware that when I stop playing, <laughs> the tour is going to be better. The tour is going to be bigger. With you know, writing about WNBA, it's it's it always goes like to this, you know, point like, well, it's not more popular than men's the men's tennis or than this and that. And you're like, yeah, well, twenty years ago there were no maybe soccer clubs for women. So we're talking about you know ten years of business rather than hundred years of of people who lived and passed generation through generation. So you can't expect the data to be like the same in the beginning. So I said, it's about, you know, the equality is always about giving the same opportunity. And I think it gets mixed up sometimes with privilege uh, and people think like, uh, or benefits, you know, like there are top players, there are top athletes who do have certain benefits. It's, 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 it's just how it is. And I think in life, that's, that's also how it is. But as long as there's the same opportunity, and I think tennis is a great example. You start a tournament, 128 players start exactly kind of at the same spot. Yeah, there's, you know, you may have a, a different court, you may have it, but still you have to win. You have to earn your spot and you have to win. So you do have an opportunity. And we can address that into everything, into, you know, right off um tv rights if you always have you know the, if the guys have always the 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 most popular slots it's a bit hard to compete with that like give that opportunity and not like okay well we give you one time if you fail well, you don't have another opportunity you know it, it has to become more of a culture thing like here everybody has opportunity and then after like 10 years of the same opportunity you give the de- data maybe we can we can talk the opportunity same opportunity and the benefits is different and it gets it gets it gets changed a little bit so let me guys let me ask you a question mm-hmm. if we're talking about that now who who do you see as the competition i mean are, are you saying boy we're going to australia and it's possible that roger rafa and novak won't be there what an opportunity this could be for the women's game or do you see the competition as something else entirely? Like, like who, if, if you're thinking about the WTA as a business and you're thinking about your career as a business, who's your competition? I don't necessarily feel 
the competition in a negative way. I think it's about bringing each other up. Like, let's say we see men's tennis doing something really cool with an event or something, you know, and I think that's okay to look at it and be like, you know what, that's actually a great idea. Why don't we try to do it? And it's not about copying. It's about having like, you know what, they're giving them credit and raising, raising up our levels. I see this competition like I see my opponents. You know, if, if they beat me, I need to do something better. Like I need to figure out or like look at them and see, you know what, they're doing this great. Maybe I can try that and maybe I can try to improve. It's not butting heads. It's about how can we grow our own? And I still, and I really, really strongly believe that we stand really strong on our own but it does help to bring people together. I always will be uh, in support of that. I think that unity, compassion, empathy, respect is a way to win. What would you say that makes an athlete popular with media these days? I, you know, it's such a horrible overused word, but there is this sort of authenticity and I think about athletes who haven't been popular, you know, use Alex Rodriguez. So use A-Rod. I think people weren't upset about the performance enhancing drugs so much as they were upset that they just thought he was fraudulent. And I think, um, you know, I, I think the media accepts like some athletes are more talkative than others. Some of them are more silly or earnest. But I think when the media feels like they're being played, uh, that's when they really get it. P people, you, you'll take the bad boys and you'll take, you know, whoever. Draymond Green is completely different from Steph Curry. And I think both of them are pretty popular. I, I think when you really run into trouble is when there is a whiff of, uh, of, of fraudulence, um, of dishonesty, of sort of inauthenticity. Um, I think that matters more than sort of good behavior, bad behavior, nice guy, bad guy. To me, sometimes it's funny. I'm, I'm just not going to talk only about tennis and not necessarily speak about somebody, but you see a persona that is portrayed by media and then you are with those people kind of on a daily basis and you're like, huh, that's interesting. But the media world, the fan world doesn't get to see that. And I think it's, the social media. And there is an article um, that was on USA Today Sports that quoted a study that an online website uh, did about uh, done about professional athletes. And it said that LeBron James received 122,568 abusive Twitter messages in one year, which comes out to 336 abusive tweets per day. And that is quite shocking. There was other other athletes, Ronaldo, and who gets you know less. Um, and you wrote something uh, for your Sports Illustrated mailbag in September about online hate, and you said, "I quote: This is a real issue, and it dovetails with our discussion about mental health. It's really a question for Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, and more than tennis." We are all in favor of free speech, but this is so vile and anonymous. It calls uh, for policing. 
And I know we don't have all the answers, but with so many people connected uh, around the world through social media, where do you think we go from here to try and police it, as you said? Well, I mean, I think I think a lot of the problem is anonymity, right? Um, you know, you and I are looking at each other. We we ever, I mean, these are things you'd never say to the person if you ever had an interaction with them. If you ever saw LeBron James in person, you'd never say this. If you ever saw you know a, a tennis player in person, why why is it okay to have an anonymous account? If I were half my age and if I were walking off a tennis court and the first thing I did was reach for my phone and someone said, you know, hey, you fat cow, why don't you learn to hit a second serve? It would be devastating. And I, you know, I mean, I really have I have a lot of sympathy for uh, for athletes in particular, for young athletes, for people that are exposed or people public. But the fact that it's anonymous, I mean, the fact that. You don't hear this from fans, right? You, you don't go to a tennis match and you leave the court and someone says like, hey, you fat cow, how come you have such a bad second serve? I mean, the, the anonymity to me is what makes it really vile. And to me, that's what also makes it really correctable, right? I mean, I can't use a random credit card. I mean, there, there are ways to authenticate this is my credit card. I can't go on Amazon and say my name is, you know, uh, Vika1979. I've got to prove who I am. Why would it be any different with my ability to make a vile comment like that? Um, if I'm putting my name behind it and I say, hey, LeBron James, you suck. All right. It's not cool, but at least people know who I am and where it's coming from and they can find me. Um, but there are a lot of ways. I mean, there, there's Think about all the ways in which we lack anonymity. The fact that we can have it on social media and say these terrible things is something I think is really easily corrected. I absolutely agree. I, I actually had the exact same thought. If you if you if people were to authenticate themselves, they would never use that. And I think the the goal here is obviously for for the platforms is to make so much money off of it and that would probably decrease a little bit of popularity and engagement that does happen, uh, unfortunately. But one of the comments that you just used is probably one of the nicest that that I probably got. When it starts to come, you know, where we have, you know, FBI agents at tennis events for harassment or security reasons, I think that that is where you actually, there's a crossing line. And you're absolutely right that the question needs to be asked of those platforms that um, allow um, those type of thing go unnoticed. And I know that they have, you know, the reporting type of stuff. I've literally reported maybe 25 times and 25 times I got a re reply that it doesn't violate um, <laughs> community, whatever things. And I said, the person literally wants to kill me, but it does not violate that. So, okay, well... <laughs> I guess it has to, it has to, he actually has to follow through for it to, you know, break the, their community guidelines or whatever. But um, it is, it is, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult um, thing, but hopefully this type of conversation will maybe spark a further conversation for people to actually talk about it more and, and, um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. 
John, I, I wanted to ask you my five questions that I ask everybody. No, your mommy. All right. So what is your favorite word? That's a great question. And it totally, I mean, but you know, writing is like cooking. Like you, you don't just stick with one recipe. I've been using the word considerable a lot, which is sort of a, uh, it's a mushy word. Um, I'll, I'll say considerable. Okay. What is your least favorite word? Probably authentic because I just use it. What, what about narrative? I'll say narrative. How about narrative? <laughs> narrative yeah. Um, what is, if you were not a sports journalist, what would you, um, what else would you want to uh, become? Uh, I would say screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a sports writer adjacent. I would, I would say a script writer, screenwriter. Okay. And what is one job you would never do in your life? Um, cor corporate lawyer. I, I speak uh, <laughs> I have yeah. exposure. I, I would say corporate lawyer. Yeah. Uh, what is one trade that you admire uh, from people? self-effacement, mo modesty, self-effacement, modesty. I mean, I think that's something else that's been lost with social media is some of these like naked boasts are uh, <laughs> so, to me, just so distasteful. Uh, I, I would say modesty. And what does uh, really like turn you, turn you off from people? Boastful, boastfulness, same, same idea. Okay. Uh, um, I would say uh, self-promotion self and boastfulness. And the last question is if, uh, let's say the heaven, heaven existed and you arrive at the, at the pearly gates, what would you want God to tell you? Oh, man, that's a great question. And nothing is coming to me that isn't like either completely narcissistic. Um, <laughs> I, I could say something like funny. Who's, who's the goat? Um, <clears throat> What would I want God to tell me? How about this one? Why, why we're in a world where a bad person can do so much disproportionate damage? Okay. Well, <laughs> it will be a long answer, I think, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's okay. That is all the time we have today. But John, it has been so great talking with you. Thank you for joining me on Think About It and discussing this important topics surrounding the sports world. Thank you. That was uh, that was good fun. I feel like we just played three sets of doubles. That was uh, that was thoroughly enjoyable. Thanks. <laughs>